street recently. This on? Yeah? No. Yeah. Hello, 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 hello. Okay. Good. So I was sitting a retreat recently and at the end of the retreat, this woman tapped me on the shoulder and she said, you know, the whole retreat I was distracted by you. And I said, why? And she said, because I felt like you were the person I wanted to gossip with. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, is that what I exude? <laughs> you know, she's like, no, it's just girlfriend energy. And I went, okay, that works. <laughs> Um, but I, as I was running back and forth, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm both a mess and super organized, right? Like, I'm, I'm a hot mess, as they call it. <laughs> and so there's part of that energy, and why I'm saying that, I'm not just saying that for no reason, is because I was realizing as, I, as the week has gone by, and I, and I shared with you earlier um, when we broke silence that it's been st- a little bit strange for me to not talk to you for a week. Um, and as the week's gone by, and as I've gotten to know some of you, not all of you, I wish I had. Um, I wish I had. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm in a group of women, I, just, I would rather be in conversation, you know, in dialogue. Um, than talking at you. <laughs> so part of part of this, part of my hope and this um, talk that I'm going to give is both to, because I definitely would like to send you home with some information, right? You came here, you learned a lot. This is a good night to talk about how do we take this home? What is this? Why, why did I do this, right? <laughs> did I do, was the point of this so I could really learn how to suffer? Awesome. <laughs> Done that. Right, so why did I do this and what do I, what do I need to learn from this? So I, I would like to talk about that a bit, and I would like to hear your questions. You know, I'd like to hear what would be most useful to you. Um, I have a little bit of representation um, from the interviews that I did, but but it might not be enough. So so let's just see as we go. Am I? Am, can you hear me now? Okay, good. Okay. Of course, I'm. Of course, I'm making it about me. My ear is weird. Why does it work for everybody else, but not for me? <laughs> Must be my ear, Mom. Why did you give me a weird ear? You know, and then I could tell the whole story about my ancestry and our ears. So, um, last night of retreat, an ending, right? We've all experienced endings. And the weird thing about endings is they can't exist without. Right. (laughs) So here we are in this learning about 
beginnings and endings. And then, of course, the middles. And so, you know, just a, a brief reflection. Do you remember your first day here? Do you remember your first sit, what you brought with you? And when I led the first sit, I asked about your intention. Do you remember that first intention? Was, did that stay with you? Did your intention change? Who are you now? Do you even know who you were then? Right? Sometimes I'm in my sitting practice and I'll be obsessing, obsessing, obsessing on a thought. It's the most important thing ever. And then a few moments later, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was I was obsessing about. (laughs) It's just so gone. You know, and so, so much of this practice really teaches us about, you know, this, this is our microcosmic petri dish microscope experiment when we're here. You know, we're getting this opportunity to really take a very close look at experience, at phenomenon, at beginnings and endings, at causes and conditions. When we sit here, and if we pay close enough attention, you know, we can actually watch and see how a thought begins, right? I have a sensation in my heart. My heart starts beating fast. From the heart beating fast, oh, my mind recognizes that as fear. Fear arises, a story, a story about fear. We see a vision that moves through us, right? And then we create a moment. We create an experience. Watching fear arise in the mind. Fear starts to lessen. Time passes. We move into the next thought. Sadness arises, right? Different experience in the heart. And so what I'm pointing to is how when we're sitting here on this cushion, we can really closely watch beginnings and endings, arisings and passings, impermanence. We get very intimate with how the mind works how our physiology engages with the mind, how our physiology engages with emotions, how then emotions create our next moment. When we look at um, some of the teachings in Buddhism, there's this thing that we look at called becoming. Becoming is, check this out. So you have a thought. You get to decide if you're going to go with that thought or not go with that thought, right? Do you believe that now? Can you say that you know that now, that you get to decide? So, so let's say you go with a thought that tells you um, that you're undeserving. You go with a thought that tells you that you don't get to have what other people have. You go with that thought, right? 
So then we, when we go with that thought, we create, we actually create our next moment, right? So if you give energy to that thought, what happens in the next moment? The thought continues. And then the thought continues. And then the thought continues. When we make a choice to say, you know what? I don't actually believe that thought. I'm going to turn towards opening my eyes, looking at a candle, being in my body. We actually di- we, we disengage from the next moment which tells us we're worthless. Does that make sense? So we disengage from this idea of becoming or re-becoming an old belief, a beginning, a birth, right? So we have the opportunity in micro moments to decide what our next birth is going to be. Am I going to birth myself into worthlessness, sadness, sorrow, fear, grief, loneliness? Am I going to birth myself into... I'm going to just take a breath, I'm going to open my eyes, and I'm going to see what's next. Right? So this is this microcosmic experience of birthing ourselves into our next moment. Some might call it karma, right? Some might call it rebirth. But let's just call it for now how we create our next experience. There's a lot of power in that. especially if negative thinking is where our mind tends to go, if we continue the negative thinking, guess what? (laughs) The negative thinking continues. If we say no, I'm going to put that down. If we use the part of wise effort, which we didn't talk a lot about on this retreat, but wise effort points to prevention, abandonment, cultivation and maintaining. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes regarding and around birth, right? Around this idea of birthing ourselves into our next moment. Because I think this is really important. And it was really very helpful to me. So prevention. Prevention. We're sitting here on the cushion. We know that if we think about X, <laughs> Y will happen, right? I sat this one retreat where I was in this room, actually. It was quite a few years ago. I was in this room. I wasn't sitting here. I was sitting on a cushion, though. And... X kept sitting next to me, right? I was like, okay, I'm sitting, I'm sitting. And then X shows up. I'm like, oh my God, okay, X is here. Okay, X is here, X is here, X is here, X is here. I'm like, why does X keep showing up? You know, my mind was obsessing about X. I'm using the the algebraic formula, like, (laughs) right? You get this, right? Okay. And then my mind is going, you know, this isn't a twofer. I paid for this retreat. I did not invite X to come with me. 
right? Like I want the meals. I want my bed to myself. I want my cushion to myself. I don't want X to be with me. But my mind wouldn't not let X be with me. X is obsessive thought. And X kept creating my next moment. X kept me in this state of depression, sadness, grief, loneliness, abandonment, sorrow. Ugh. So I went in for my interview, my meeting with my teacher. And my teacher says to me, I tell my teacher about X. And my teacher said, well, just stop it. <laughs> That's what they said. It, it, they said, just stop it. <laughs> and I went, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can do that? Teacher says, yes. And so I tried it. So every time my thought process started leading me towards X, I said, no, X is not invited. So the prevention piece is watching my mind. You know, maybe I'm holding hands with somebody. I'm feeling lonely. And my mind instantly slips into X. Okay, so I have to watch the mind thinking that loneliness means needing X to take me out of it, right? So first, I hope I'm, I hope I'm grasping you guys because this like, feels really meaningful to me, but I'm all up here all alone. So I'm hoping this means something to you. So I am going along, loneliness arises, right? Loneliness. So where the preventative effort would be is allowing myself to experience loneliness all on its own without thinking that X was going to come along and fix it for me, right? So loneliness arising, getting close to it, kind of like we did in our speaking exercise, right? Just like this Vipassana out loud, lonely, lonely, belly, heart, holding, right? Just how we can stay with ourselves and not abandon ourselves in that loneliness. So the wise effort of prevention would be to not need something to take it away for us. Then we move into the wise effort of abandonment, which is what the teacher said to me. is like once that thought has arisen, so let's say we haven't prevented it. The thought has arisen. Here we are, twofer. This person sitting right next to me. I'm having a conversation. The abandonment, right effort of abandoning the thought is to, put, to recognize it. So that's the R in RAIN. To recognize it and then put it down. To say not right now. right? Because that obsessive thought is not helpful. So this is something we get to, we get to just have that. We get to, I don't know. For me, that was a huge thing to put in my back pocket, right? It's actually in my front pocket. It's actually in my, like, blouse pocket. (laughs) It's close to my, you know, it's close to me. Because it's been really helpful to know that I actually can do that. I don't need anyone to give me permission to do that. I don't need to look outside of myself to do that. 
I, when my mind recognizes that I'm in an obsessive thought, have the opportunity to put it down. I am rebirthing. I am birthing my next moment in that decision, right? I am birthing into my power, into my ability to create the experience that's going to happen next. Does this make sense? Okay. A lot of power in that. A lot of power in those little micro moments. You know, and then I've, I've been thinking about it on this retreat because like these hellos and goodbyes, right? These mandalas that you've created, here they are. Like this is a beautiful installation. Have you looked at this? Have you checked this out? So the, these were birthed out of what? What were they birthed out of? You know, there happened to be some markers, some pens, some paper, some... I, I mean, some of you did some crazy stuff with spiraling wire and leaves. And, you know, there's things here that are so insane. What are they birthed out of? <laughs> Prajnaparamita. I mean, look at that. You know, and then what's going to happen next? So here we are. We're actually in the middle of this beauty. But there is going to be a, there's going to be a death, right? There's going to be an end to this. And, it, and we could really mourn that. We could, we could put a little sorrow on that. Or we could say, yeah, that's how it is. This is the truth of existence. This is the truth. This is reality, right? This is how it is. And so we can look at this in a lightweight way with, with our art, or even what I'm talking about in a moment of a flash moment of experience. But we also need to look at that in terms of our whole lives. Where there is birth, there is death. That's just, you know, the side effect of birth. <laughs> death, death. <laughs> of course, there's a lot that happens in between. One of the things that I, one of the reasons actually that I came to Buddhism was because I'm, I'm a, I consider myself a pragmatist pragmatist right like I just need you to tell me the formula and once you tell me the formula cool if if part of it means I'm going to be sad for a bit that's okay but just let me know right let me know and uh this practice gave me that this practice said to me check it out Joanna there's old age there's sickness there's death there's not getting what you want and there's getting what you don't want, live with it, right? <laughs> and it was like, cool, handshake, fist bump, let's do that, right? Yeah, tell me, tell me, just tell me. That's all I want to know. Don't lie to me, right? Betrayal, like I hate betrayal. Fucking sucks, So I, I, you know, I, I participated in some of these traditions that um, wanted me to just like blindly believe in something, right? Just this blind faith that there was a like Christmas God out there, <laughs> that if I was good enough, if I was just good enough, right? If I was a really good girl, 
then I would get everything I wanted. If I prayed hard enough, if I acted right, if I talked right, if I smiled, if I was a good girl, I would get what I wanted. That didn't really work for me (laughs) because that's not actually where my heart is. I'm like, I want to be a little bit bad sometimes, right? I'm a bit of a rule follower, but not all the time. And so there was this way that when I came to this practice and it said, you know, okay, so bad things happen. Cool. Tell me what they are. Old age, sickness, and death. You don't get what you want all the time, and oftentimes you get what you want. Cool. Okay, good. We got that. Right? So there are these, there are these seemingly causal rules of things that I can't control. Okay, what are they? Tell me what they are. Those, those things. And then there's some other things that we find out. Like, can we control time? Nope. (laughs) Can we control gravity? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) That one we know. (laughs) Can we control heredity? Can we control, you know, Epigenetics are making us question genealogy. So that's so, yeah. There was a time when we would say, could we control climate? And well, it's like, like yes, <laughs> we can now, right? Or couldn't we control the weather? And so now it's like the answer is yes. But we could look at a lot of things that we cannot control. One of my favorite like expletives of this, um, Anushka, one of the teachers here, one of the fav- my favorite things that sh- she does is uh, when, when we talk about gravity, it's like, okay, what's going to happen when I open my hand? Right. Okay. Okay, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to do everything my guru teacher tells me to do. I'm going to not harm people. I'm going to tell the truth. Okay. Now what's going to happen? <laughs> right? That's not going to change. Like there are certain things that we, that we cannot control. It's just the way it is. Right? It's just the way it is. Who else can't we control? Other people. How hard do you try? No. <laughs> I mean, you brought this up, right? How hard do we try to control other people? How they feel about us, what they do, how they think, all of it. Like, that's the biggest one, really. How hard do we try? And so there are these these things, like First Noble Truth. Aaron was talking about it. First Noble Truth, what is not in my jurisdiction? Not in my jurisdiction. The things I cannot control. Second noble truth. I'm going to try anyway. <laughs> I don't care what you say. I'm going to try anyway. Right? There's our suffering. There's our frustration. And we live in that space so often. It's just crazy. And like, okay, I'm a pragmatist. 
Tell me the truth. I know the truth, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Why do we do it anyway? It's so wild. I fly, I fly a lot. And one time I was sitting, I was on Virgin, and they have this really cool, like, video, you know, and they're telling you all the ways that you can save your life on the plane. You know what I do when they're telling me how to save my life? I put on my headphones, <laughs> and my, right? I check out, and they're telling me how I can save my life. And sometimes I feel, <laughs> sorry. I think that's really funny. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's what the first and second noble truth are about, how you can save your life. And we, we're like, yeah, I, I heard you. <laughs> Not only have I heard you, but I heard this 10 years ago. I know this, right? So there's this like, I got it. But it's just like, if the plane goes down, do you really know where the airbags are? Or whatever, like, or whatever it is. Uh, the life us, I'm not quite sure. I think it's under the seat, but I'm not positive. And I fly all the time. So I'm just saying we had this, like, we had this <laughs> really clear path laid out for us. And we're kind of, I don't know, there's this way that, that we refuse to really deeply get it. And so when I, you know, when we look back at the title of the retreat, Wisdom Arising, okay, so first and second whole truth, that's wisdom. Like we don't even need to go any further. How deeply can we understand that and take that in? So I, I want to tell you two stories. I'm not even sure they fit, but I'm going to tell them anyway. Because I feel like they fit a little bit. So, hold on, I'm going to tell you something else first. So there's, that, the, there's the what we know, right? What's, what's, what's not in our jurisdiction. And then there's what is in our jurisdiction. What's in our jurisdiction? What can we do, right? So, so we don't need to just put it all in what can't we do. What do we need to not pay attention to? But what this path laid out very clearly is what we can do. And it's called the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path consists of, well, eight folds, <laughs> eight things that are wrapped up in, in sort of, it's often called like three braids. So three strands of a braid, sila, samadhi, and panya, which is wisdom, or sila is ethics, or ethical practice, how we behave in the world, how we walk through the world, how we, how we treat other people, how we speak, how we act, how we live. Samadhi is what is our meditation practice, our mindfulness practice. And then panya is our wisdom practice. Sila, samadhi, panya. And those three together, those three strands of the braid together create the whole of the path. It creates the opportunity for full liberation. It creates the opportunity to free ourselves from how the first and second noble truths grasp us and hold us. And, you know, 
because of all of these movements, and I think Spring, you mentioned this today, these mindfulness movements um, that have led people to really hold mindfulness as sort of a, a self-help experience. Um, but the Buddha wasn't a self-help guru. You know, the Buddhist teachings really are about full and true liberation. And so when I look at this path, when I look at the path of sila, samadhi, and panya, so panya, which is the wisdom piece, which we've been talking about mostly here, is really just deeply understanding these kind of truths, right? That's wisdom. If, I, if we kept saying, if we kept trying to fight this over and over, that's not wisdom, <laughs> right? That's not wisdom. Going, no, 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 next time, next time, next time, <laughs> right? If we're refusing to understand that if I do A, B will happen. If I don't do A, B won't happen, right? There are, the, there are these causal truths. And you all know what I mean. You could probably, in, in your own lives, each of you tell us, I know that if I do this, I hurt after I do it. I know that if I don't do this, I don't hurt. And there's a, there's a I think it was Ajahn Chah that said this, but I'm not sure. It, there are two kinds of suffering, the suffering that leads to more suffering and then the suffering that leads to the end of suffering, right? Which one do we choose? So oftentimes we take the easier route. The, the suffering that leads to more suffering is like, I'm empty, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. I'm going to feel bad about it. Suffering that leads to more suffering, right? I'm hungry, I want to eat, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to hold myself. I'm not going to abandon my pain. Oh, check this out. Transformation. Acknowledgement. Right? It's not any easier. It's not easy. The suffering that leads to more suffering and then the suffering that abandons suffering. So we need to check that out, those choice points. So this is on the Eightfold Path. This is the wisdom piece. This is the panya. This is what tells us, oh, when I wake up to seeing, and, and, and sometimes we can call this karma. You know, I talked about the karma of becoming, the next moment, how we become the next moment. This is looking at cause and effect. How, can, how does my choice create my next moment? We're all in this, right? We're all in this. And then the sila aspect is, okay, well, we all know what it feels like to get in a fight with somebody. And we all know what it feels like to wish we hadn't said something. Would that be fair to say? Has anybody not gotten in a fight with someone? <laughs> Raise your hand. <laughs> I want to know you. You raised your hand? Oh. <laughs> so usually 
you know, sometimes it feels really good, right? Because we feel justified, right? We feel like we did it, we said it, this is good. But then when we wait a couple days or the out fallout, we need to apologize. We kind of like wake up feeling crappy. We toss and turn. We can't sleep well, right? And then we have those conversations in our head. And how could I have said it better? I probably could have told them off better. <laughs> and like, if only I'd read that book first, I would have been more eloquent about how I told them off. And, you know, and then we just like, go through this whole way of thinking the suffering that leads to more suffering right we put ourselves so when we look at sila when we look at our behavior how we show up in the world this idea of how can i move through this world kate brought it up the bliss of blamelessness last night like how can i move through this world and i'm in my lane (laughs) as spring said I'm in my lane. Like we know when we mess up someone else's lane, right? But there's something really freeing about my sila. When my sila is clean, when I'm not harming myself or others, it's not only about harming others. It's also how am I harming myself? It's really important because what's interesting is our wisdom feeds our sila. Our sila feeds our wisdom. And then what do you think is next? Our samadhi. Like how well do you sit on your cushion when you have hurt somebody? You spend a lot of time thinking about it. So you sit on the cushion and then you're obsessing about that hurt. You're obsessing about how someone else hurt you, how you hurt someone else, right? So then our samadhi affects our sila. Our samadhi affects our panya. Our panya affects our samadhi, right? And so there's this whole way that this path makes sense they all all three of those path fact of whatever they're called all three of those (laughs) strands affect each other so when we leave here and people often ask you know people ask how do I do this you know this I'm so good here right now by day whatever we're on we're doing great but I just need to keep my mouth shut, (laughs) right? Or I just need to not engage with anybody and I'll be fine. (laughs) It'll all work out really well. So, um, So I've been a single mom. I was a single mom for 16 years. And, you know... Through those 16 years, I was on this path. I was on this path. And I, I love that we work on a team because Aaron and Anna and Spring and I, sorry, and Kate and Devin all have had very different paths. Because I, as a single mom, couldn't go live in a cottage for or what'd you call it? A, a yogini hut for three months. <laughs> I couldn't go live in a yogini hut for three months. And so um, what I did was I held screaming toddlers. <laughs> and I drove kids to school at seven in the morning (laughs) and I made lunches and I was celibate for many 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 years because 
It just was, is what felt right to me, you know, as a single mom. And why I'm bringing this up as far as like this eightfold path is because this path is vast, right? This path has many entry points. So for those of you that have commitments or places you need to be or family, partners, kids, I spoke with someone today who considered, you know, the, the monastic path. And we, we together laughingly said, well, that's not perfect either, right? That's not perfect either. There's a lot of patriarchy in monasticism, by the way. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get to avoid patriarchy and monasticism. Actually, it's really bad there. Um, so <laughs> what I'm, you know, it's bad, right? It's so bad. I could tell you, I'm not going to tell stories because I'm running out of time, but we could tell stories. So, you know, we fantasize, like always, you know, that old cliche of the grass is always greener. It's like, well, actually where we are is where the path is. Where we are is where the path is. Who we live with is where the path is. I also got approached about, well, I live with people who, you know, that practice we did with each other this afternoon, I live with people who that wouldn't be okay with, right? Where I can't be my true self with, what I can't be authentic with. Yeah, that's true. That's part of our path. So my encouragement is through sila samadhi panya, you know, some people, panya was their entry point. Some people read a book, right? Who read a book and said, oh, I want to practice meditation? You picked up a book and that was your entry point. Are there people that, that was your entry point? Yeah. And then for some people, the entry point is, you know, maybe addiction or some sort of way of living your life and you're like, I can't treat people like this anymore. I can't treat myself like this anymore. I need to find a better way. I need to be kind. So some, sometimes we enter through sila. Sometimes we enter, you know, through the ethical path. A lot of people that are born into Buddhism in, in Asian countries where Buddhism is their, the, the tradition they were born into, sila often is the path that leads first. And then for some people, I know a few people in here were dragged by friends to meditation classes or to this retreat, right? So for some people, the samadhi was the entry point. So we can have different entry points. For some, it's, it's through the mind and through the lessons and the teachings. For some, it's through how we show up in the world, how we serve, how we, you know, are really interested in not causing harm. And then for some, it's really sitting and learning and, and practicing in that way. And, and none is any better. We need all of them. We need all of them for this idea of full liberation. So when you go out into the world, like really paying attention to not judge what you can or can't do or how you can or can't do it, like what your entry point is, what you can give more energy to, Right? But the encouragement is to stay on the path in some way. To stay on the path in some way. If what you've got to give right now is that you can read a lot, and you can take a lot into your mind, cool. Like, let that be so for now. But then make sure to stay in balance. 
So much of our practice is about the balance. Make sure if you're going to read a lot that you also have time to sit. Make sure that if you're of service, like if that's how you give, if that's what your practice is right now, that you also give time to yourself, that you give time to be still. Because I know a lot of you in this room are caretakers, are activists, are in some way people that move forward in, in their practice. But make sure you also sit still. Give yourself that. Right? So don't give, up. don't give up when you leave this retreat. This isn't the only way. This is not the only way to practice. Surround yourself with other people that believe and have faith and trust in your own, their own inner capacity. Right? Those other paths that I was on, and I, I don't think I talked about it much, but like that external, external telling of who I am, what I could do, how I could do it. And when I shifted to, no, I'm, I got this, right? I got this. My, I'm going to birth my next moment myself. Karma. You can birth it. When, we, when you walk out this door, when you move, every movement you make, you are birthing yourself into your next moment, into your next reality, into your next thought, into your next action. So I just want you to know you can. And, you know, I might be a weirdo. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think I am. I'm pretty sure I am. <laughs> I kind of like the weirdo club. Like, that's, like, just where I live. It works for me. Um, so I'm going to tell this little story I read. And it's really weird because it's a sad. It's sad. <laughs> but it gives me... It, who did I talk to today? There was somebody in here today. It was such a beautiful conversation. I know who it is now. And we talked about groundlessness. You know, we talked about how historically this person had a lot of God growing up, right? God and family and this is the way it is, and this is what you can count on. And there was a lot of safety and comfort in that. But this person said, you know what, that's not for me anymore. And being on this retreat created a lot of confusion and this like, uh-oh, well, if I don't have that, what do I have? Right, what is there? And it's kind of weird because... There isn't anything there. And in a strange way, that gives me comfort. Like this groundlessness, this, um, you know, falling with no parachute. Who does that scare? <laughs> it's a little bit scary. But it's what it's, 
anyway, I'm going to read this. I'm going to see what you think. You can tell me what you think of this. It's called Impermanence. I wish I knew who the author was, but I don't. I could find out, though, if somebody wants to know. It is breathtaking, the extinguishing of consciousness, yet that loss, too, our own ultimate unbeing, is dwarfed by the grander scheme. When we are experiencing it, loss often feels like an anomaly, a disruption in the usual order of things. In fact, though, it is the usual order of things. Entropy, mortality, extinction. The entire plan of the universe consists of losing. And life amounts to a reverse savings account in which we are eventually robbed of everything. Right? Our dreams and plans and jobs and knees and backs and memories the childhood friend, the husband of 50 years, the father of forever, the keys to the house, the keys to the car, the keys to the kingdom, the kingdom itself. Sooner or later, all of it drifts into the valley of lost things. There's precious little solace for this and zero redress. We will lose everything we love in the end. But why should that matter so much? By definition, we do not live in the end. We live all along the way. The smitten lovers who marvel every day at the miracle of having met each other are right. It is finding that is astonishing. You meet a stranger passing through your town and know within days you will marry them. You lose your job at 55 and shock yourself by finding a new calling 10 years later. You have a thought and find the words. You face a crisis and find your courage. All of this is made more precious, not less, by its impermanence. No matter what goes missing, the wallet or the father, the lessons are the same. Disappearance reminds us to notice. Transience is to cherish. Fragility to defend. Loss is a kind of external conscience urging us to make better use of our finite days. As Whitman knew, our brief crossing is best spent attending to all that we see, honoring what we find noble, denouncing what we cannot abide, recognizing that we are inseparably connected to all of it, including what is not yet upon us, including what is already gone. We are here to keep watch, not to keep. So we sit in this practice watching the micro, the macro, and what's in between, right? It's not impossible and we're human and we live and we love and we hold and we lose. And we make mandalas. (laughs) And we take the mandalas down. Right? 
So again, in my weirdness, you know, I find comfort and ease in knowing that it's impermanent, that it's impersonal. And that I'm not the only one that suffers and I'm not doing it alone. And there are ways that I can walk the path to make it more gentle. Yeah? I'm going to read one more thing and then we'll sit for a few minutes. I know I said we were going to make this a dialogue and I end up talking my ass off. But whatever. I'm imperfect. (laughs) Okay, I really like this. This is one that I really like. It was written in 1651 by a dude, so we'll just take that in for a minute. But... (laughs) we'll, We'll switch it. Let's see. Okay. As awakening increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our hearts a whole swarm of shameful thoughts and feelings. We could never have believed that we had harbored such things, and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. While our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter, and we are filled with horror. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. So let's just sit quietly for a few minutes.
So take a little walk, practicing with watching this mind of birth, how we birth ourselves into each moment. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to watch. All right, see you soon. Nine o'clock, chanting.